The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, Zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hey, everybody. This is UCI Conversations, and I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer. And my guest today is race car driver, stunt driver, and coach Kevin Matson. Kevin graduated from UCI with a degree in social science in 2005. And we're going to find out all about the amazing, exciting, difficult, high-acting world of driving from a guy that is the real deal, Kevin Matson. Welcome to UCI Conversations, Kevin. How are you today? Hey, Kev. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. You know, we want to learn all about you today. So please tell us where you grew up and what you like to do when you were a kid. Yeah, thanks, Kev. So I, I was born out in Chicago or, or a small little town outside of Chicago, actually, and then kind of hopped around. My, my dad was a, a pilot. Uh, initially, was an aircraft mechanic and then uh, became a pilot, but a lot of wow. a lot of different between airlines and things wow so I lived, yeah yeah I lived a little bit on the east coast and then eventually made my way out here to the beautiful west coast and thankfully that's what led me uh, eventually to go to, uh, to UC Irvine which is uh, you know a good portion of why we're, we're we're chatting today yeah gotcha good did your dad work for the airlines one of the big airlines or yeah well he, he just retired actually last year from American Airlines but right. back when I was a little kid uh, it was a lot uh, a lot more lot lot tougher you know he when he finally got a gig as as a as a pilot he was flying like cargo and like dc3s which are really old aircraft like uh you know yeah um, in some sketchy situations <laughs> and, and uh, there's some good photos of me in some of those planes when i was a real little kid but i, I guess you could say the horsepower and the uh, the power and all that transferred yeah. over got me hooked and of course yeah. he did enjoy watching racing so we'd go to the track when i was younger and they they you know, said that right from the beginning, that's, that's all I would talk about and, you know, make car sounds and, and <laughs> love, the, love the racing side of it. And, and certainly none of that has changed today. Well, you're a lot younger than me. Do you remember the Orange County International Raceway or was that before your time? No, is, is that, um, are you talking, is it the drag strip when they used to do the, the drag, drag strip? It, it used to be at where the 405 and the five meet. It used to be right off the freeway right there. And it basically, it used to be there would be just all you saw were orange groves, and there just happened to be this raceway right there 
uh, where the, the freeway connected. It sounds like it was before your time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but man, we could get that back out here. Like, you know, uh, over the, the Tustin airfields, I wish we had something out there still, man. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I can get, you know, your dad was a, you know, an airplane pilot and you used to kind of be around the engines and stuff. When did you actually start you know, racing or even just kind of driving? Was it, was it go-karts or was it something else? Yeah. I wanted to go that route with the go-karts. Like I had um, like a mini bike and then a dirt bike. And so yeah. that, that sort of stuff really got me hooked, you know, and, and got to the point where I was able to put my own physical strengths to work right on a, on a BMX bike and then on a dirt bike, of course, and wanted to get into go-karting, but it just wasn't financially feasible for my family to kind of go through that, that route. It actually can be quite expensive. Wow. Okay. So I thought that was more of the, you know, the common man's way, but even that's expensive, huh? It is, it is. And we, we were on a, on a shoestring budget for sure. Like what my family was trying to, to get done. You know, my mom had her hands full with three young boys. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, my dad was, was, was working and working his way up. So yeah, it just wasn't a priority but for me. Yeah. Like, I wanted to do it as soon as I could. So once I had a car when I was 16, that's when I really went into it. And started in what's called autocross, which is like cones in a parking lot and did real well from the beginning with that to where uh, a shop and some of the, the better drivers and guys who are well connected in the racing industry were able to connect me with the right people. Like, hey, this kid's kind of an up and coming talent and needs a little help. And, and um, that's that's kind of what got me hooked, I think. So really, as far as the motorsports world, yeah, there was motocross and BMX and that sort of stuff at a lower level, but really the racing started once I had my, my driver's license and the freedom to pursue it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. What was the first race you won? Do you remember? There was the autocrosses, which are, they're not really like wheel to wheel races. They're kind of like time trials and SCCA or uh-huh. sports car club of America still holds these events. They're great events to get hooked because you're spending, you know, at that time, I think it was like 30 bucks for your entry for the day. And you get to really test the dynamics of your car and, and work on your own skills. Are you literally just bringing in your street car to this parking lot cone? Yeah. Race yeah. And, and you can still do that. We used to do that in, uh, in Orange County, even years ago over in El Toro. Uh-huh. Um, they've since closed that facility out, but like Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, they still do it. It's probably the easiest way. You know, if your car is safe for the roads, it's, it's pretty much safe for these speeds the easiest way to get out there. And so that's where I knew I could afford to do that. And again, I got really lucky that I was connected with the right people. Hmm. So yeah, I got into the point where I think the first race I won was at Holtville, which was a, a track down in San Diego. It no longer exists. There was an old airfield out in uh-huh. maybe like El Centro, California. Uh-huh. And then uh, we raced a couple other places like Button Willow and then Spring Mountain, which at the time was a real small circuit. Now that place is huge. Yeah. I mean, th- there was other tracks around like Riverside, which had closed just, just after I started racing. Um, so it's uh, yeah. right around the same time period, but that's uh, another, you were mentioning like the, that track and the OC, there's just not too much around this area anymore as far as racing facilities. Right. right. That's what I've heard. So we, you know, when you're first starting out, what years are these when you're kind of first starting? You know, 98. 90, yes, 98. 98 would be around. Okay. Oh, you're so young. <laughs> but I'm that's starting good. to feel older man i don't know <laughs> very cool so how did it develop you graduated from uci in 2005 so, you know you're going to school and you're you're doing your you know racing things during school too or or was that before or after or tell us about 
college life? Yeah, the, the decision to go to school was college in that regard. It was one of those ones where, which I'm so glad I did because I learned so much and UC Irvine, not even just in the classroom dynamics, but in what I took from the leadership that I was involved in and you know, working in the dorms and all these various roles on campus, like really helped kind of take me from being a little bit more shy and not so outspoken to being able to perform, I think, in some of the roles that are expected of, of a driver and, you know, brand ambassador and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I decided to stay, you know, go to college. I got, there was times because I was working at doing whatever I could to pay for the racing back in the late 90s, whereas working at a body shop, I was working as a, a mechanic and, you know, trying all these different things to try to stay in the industry and make money and, and work on my car after hours at these shops and all that sort of stuff. So I thought about, man, what if I just, if I didn't go to college, I could just do this, be a lot more focused on this, but really the schooling is what helped kind of take me to the next level as far as what I was able to do, especially after college. Now while I was in college, yes, I did stay involved and I still was racing. Like I, I, one of those races, like in 2002, I think I won a big uh, season championship for the San Diego region and uh, in pro seven. And those, those were in that series, like 37 car fields, like really competitive. It was kind of like what they consider spec Miata to be like today, where there's a bunch of similarly specced and built out cars. And so really it comes down to the driver to be the best. And so that was kind of cool. And it kept the cost at least a little bit more in line, but uh, yeah, so I did that through college. And then I also was involved with formula SAE, which you might've even talking to some of the students or talked to some of the students on campus that are involved in that in the past but they, um, they build a car every year in the engineering department. So I stayed involved with them, kind of helping give some feedback on the car. And I drove it at one of their events. That was a pretty cool program to kind of stay involved in. That was yeah. combining my interests. Yeah, cool. Now, I think I saw somewhere in your bio, did you win a national championship at some point? Yeah, shortly after graduating, I won a national championship. And that was in an RX-7 as well. And that was kind of a cool one after I got back from doing some testing over in Europe. Uh, the Nürburgring, which is a pretty epic track, I decided, man, I really got to get back into this. And it was actually... Where was that? Of, did you call it Nürburgring? Yeah, the Nürburgring. It's in Germany. Oh, okay. Um, up in the northern regions there. And uh, Is it an oval track? No, the, the Nürburgring is a, it's about a 13-mile track with 170 corners. It's it's a wow. wild... It's I mean, there's like different weather forecasts for different sections of the track. But that's wow. what kind of made me determine that I wanted to... Just that that work I had out there at that time made me determine I really wanted to get back and make racing more of a full-time deal, oh, uh, which right. is tough to do, but I had an opportunity at that point to do it. And, and that's kind of, uh, it all worked out, you know, in that sense. And then from so, there, it was just transitioning to how you can keep doing it afterwards. And, and got, uh, so when you came out of school, you, you weren't totally, you know, you were still kind of feeling your way. Like, am I going to just be, have a normal career or, you know, is the racing and, did it take you a couple of years to kind of fully commit to racing? Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. More than, more than even just a couple. I mean, right after the bat, like for most folks that are in this and especially, you know, have the, the opportunity to, to go out and race time to time, they realize how quickly it, it can become expensive, even if you're really good. Uh, and so for me, yeah, it was still normal full-time jobs. Like I was a national sales manager for a, um, a travel company at that time. And I was doing well enough to where I could still race on the weekends, but it, it really took the, like, actually the, the toughest parts of that time period, like the economic downturn when I was laid off is when I decided to kind of try to make this go more of a full-time um, mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. And then even that was challenging and, you know, other career moves, which were in the industry, like uh, in the racing industry and carding and things like that were tough. And so, 
Yeah, this is part of what I talked about with the No Easy Roads, like the, that uh, program I, was, I did with UCI Social Sciences was, mm. I mean, I've got a, a crazy path. <laughs> like it, there, there's a lot of times and honestly, every one of the challenges, I, like I think I look back on it right now and I smile and I'm very thankful for it. But at the time, like you're like, wow, this is my, this is, how is this going to work out? Right. And so I'm very fortunate, yeah, that these last few years have been 100% focused on on racing and, and performance driving and coaching. But there's no, I think, the, the, to, to quote that that series, there's, there's no easy roads. There was no pathway that was like, okay, if you want to become a driver coach, here's what you need to do. And and it's and that's the challenge, right? As you look at some of the greatest coaches in in football or, or other sports, uh, I always look, look back to Vince Lombardi and, and Joe Gibbs, Joe Gibbs now into racing. He used to be a football coach, right. but these guys usually, uh, especially in the case of Vince Lombardi, he was not a great football player. He was a pretty terrible football player and never played, played, uh, played pro football, but he was just so dedicated to the sport and inspiring others and finally realized that he wanted to share his passion with others. And now we know of him as one of the best coaches out there during a, a very pivotal time in, in, um, in that sport. So, I think that if I didn't have all these challenges, if I didn't have to work so hard, if I didn't have such a small budget from the beginning, if I didn't have to do it all kind of on my own initially, like I think that's kind of what shaped me up now to where I enjoy racing. You know, I'd love to go out and, and, and race as much as I can. And we, you and I've talked about that, right. but I actually, I think I honestly, I even get more of a kick out of helping other people with what I've learned, like getting them faster, working with a youngster today, like getting her to her first GT3 test, a very high level test. And she's doing so great. Like considering she's just starting in all this, or even some of these executives who are so busy, they've got families and uh, they just want to take some of their cool cars out on track. And, and I, I can help them do it safely and, and enjoy that what that car is really meant to do in a safe environment, not on the roads where it can risk other, other people's lives. And so I don't know, it's kind of crazy, I guess my path, but I, I'm really fortunate that it's, it's taken to me to where I'm at. Well, just for my listeners out there, for those of you who are aware of, of, of racing and, and coaching and so forth, um, they, they know. But if, if, if you're not an informed uh, you know, racing public uh, like I was um, before I was going to do this interview, as you, you start to find out that, that people just have to piece a career together. We, we hear about the world famous auto racers, but there's not very many of those. And everybody else has to scratch and figure out how to do it in one way or another. But universally, I, I talked to four or five uh, people who are, you know, amateur racers and, and people who really wish they were into the industry. And they're like, Kevin Madsen, that's the real deal. If you go to his website, that's the real deal. He's doing it. And the inflection of their voice was a bit of envy. Cool. I'm glad to be talking to you. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. And, and some, some nice folks out there, but I think, like I said, the best part is being able to share that with others. Like I, especially during this COVID time period. And, you know, you, I think we've all had to reflect a little bit. I I'm amazed with, you know, emergency personnel out there and everybody else that's, that's really doing the hard work. But for me, I, I at least can get some joy in, in that even during this time period, you know, in the right environments, I'm able to put a smile on folks face and, and again, have them maybe safely have some fun on a track or, or enjoy the car they have or, or start to build their own career based upon some of the things I've learned over these years. Very good. Excuse me just for a moment, Kevin, while I update our audience. If you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bostenmeyer, and my guest today is race car driver, stunt driver, and coach, and UCI alumni, Kevin Matson. and we're learning the nuts and bolts of 
what it's like to be a driver and, and working your way up in your career, the thrills and defeats and, and having a look under the hood of what's really happening. So Kevin, you know, after you graduated from UCI in 2005, it sounded like you were balancing your, your work life with driving professionally. When did it actually become a, a full-time gig to be a driver and coach for you? I think the coaching uh, started like where it was, it was more regular about 11 years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, been racing about 22 years. So about 11 years ago where I was like, I think I know enough now to where I can start to share some of that. And some of it was pretty basic uh, as far as like, I did this, I worked for this traveling Ferrari and Lamborghini experience across the country. And so we would kind of put on these events and people would get a taste of driving in a car with a pro in the right seat, or they could ride along with us. And then I was training some of those folks to kind of be able to run those events. And so that was like a half times thing, you know, where there was a lot of travel and then, you know, transition to like, like for instance, exotics racing, where I worked with for a number of years out here until they closed, they, they closed uh, last year. I was what does that mean when you see, I, I see that exotic cars, exotic racing, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great question. So they're still out in Las Vegas. Uh, we also had a, a branch uh, that I was the chief instructor at that was out in Fontana, but exotics racing is what you'd call a driving experience. So they have Ferraris, Lamborghinis, all these flashy cars, cars that you probably never thought you could drive yeah. and you can come out. And for a short period of time, you come into a classroom and I, what I would do is I, I give a presentation about how to safely drive these cars and, and what to expect when you get out on track. And then when you go out there, I had a team of instructors that I trained where they'd go out there with you for five to 30 laps and they're in the right seat and they're coaching you through that entire experience and really instructing you around the race course to get the most from the car, to have fun, and most importantly, to stay safe. And so, yeah, Exotics Racing still open out in Las Vegas. They were out here. So these are programs where I really enjoyed being a part of them because you would learn a lot about how people react to your instruction and how to get the most from you know, you, right? Like, so by the specific verbiage you, we would use with individuals to connecting with them, understanding their attitudes, what they're trying to get from the experience, all of this could really make or break the experience that they get. So it was allowing me to, on a daily basis, perfect my craft, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I love. So I still go right seat with folks. We call it right seating, but basically that means I'm riding along with you in the car and, mm -hmm. and live coaching you or live instructing you around a racetrack. Not all driver coaches still do that. So a lot of times when they reach a certain level, they just do it outside the car or look at video or data analysis. But for me, I still enjoy going right seat with folks. Some people think I'm crazy because there is some more risk to that, but I really enjoy it because in a lot of ways that immediate feedback you give someone can be very helpful. There's some things you might not see from outside the car. And there's been definitely some scenarios where I've helped keep people safe and, and keep their car from a, a bad situation. Yeah. 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 You know, from all your race car driving experiences, did you ever have any close calls or what you thought was a close call? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's been a lot. Like, uh, so, <laughs> can, <laughs> can you share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I, it, there's a bunch. And, and that's the thing that, that folks need to know when you watch. And I'm sure, you know, if, if, or, if folks that are listening are, you know, if you're into cars and you've watched Top Gear or you know who Chris Harris is or a lot of these like famous guys that are, that are doing even stunt driving and that are probably much more household names than myself. I'm pretty unknown, but the key with that is like, there are mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. And you see that with pros. Like I was just watching a race a week or two ago with Jimmy Johnson, who, who raced uh, NASCAR seven time champion, yeah, world and famous I'm, race car driver. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now he's in the Indy car and he's spun, you know, he, he, he spun on the track, like something that you wouldn't ever expect a pro to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's tons of mistakes that can happen out there. And there's also times where things can break. Like I did test driving for a couple of manufacturers and, and one was a very big manufacturer, a nice supercar we were working on. And we had total failure of the engine very early on. So things that you wouldn't expect. And when an engine fails, there's fluids, you know, that are out there that are hitting the tires and, and things can get really ugly. And so, yeah, wow. I've seen some, some gnarly ones. We did a test for a off-roading series that I was a part of. And I, in testing the track, my goal was to push the limits of that track so that when other people like paying customers got in, that they couldn't get hurt. And so we ended up, you know, trying to cut some corners to see what would happen. Yeah. Like literally cut corners on the track and the car rolled. And so... I've, I've been in yeah some some pretty pretty crazy scenarios for sure, but most of those videos don't ever get out, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just last weekend, you know, talking about accidents and so forth. Did you hear about that Talladega racetrack? Talladega's world famous racetrack in the United States, and a car hit the wall. Did you hear about this? Um... I, I didn't. No, I I, uh, I I was I keep track more of the road racing, so like folks turning left and right and all that. So uh-huh. are in Formula One a little bit. Even that is tough to keep up with. So my schedule is a little crazy right now. But I, what, what happened out there? Was there a, there was an incident? Um, well, you know, a car, I think the gentleman's name was Derek Taylor or something like that. He hit the wall and, you know, they had the video and you know, whether it was his mistake or somebody, you know, bumped him. But what was interesting about it was the, the underside of the car was fully engulfed. Like it, the, the, the flames were coming from the front, from the back. And, you know, he's going over 200 miles an hour. So it took him a while to get away from the traffic and stop the car, which didn't happen right away. You know, you're like, oh, my God. And, and like the flames are like going kind of up to the windows and stuff. And so he got to the infield and got it stopped. But then the video kind of stops. And he, he, he was I think he's in critical condition. He's on a ventilator. I think they're optimistic that he's going to be okay, but he had some significant burns on his arms and chest and neck. It's dangerous. I I actually am preparing for this interview with you. I uh, was, you know, just doing research on YouTube and Rick Mears was a a driver that I used to follow because he was a California guy. And yeah, it's great guy. Yeah. Just the interviews with him are great. His wife actually was interviewed and just said, you know, I kind of was naive. I always thought that, you know, it was Rick Mears. He's a top driver. And so it's not really dangerous. And then he got into a significant accident hitting the wall in Indy. And it's amazing that he could win a race with injured feet, but he did. It's dangerous, as you know. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Yeah, especially the higher speeds. And NASCAR, I think, showcases that, which is that race you're talking about at Talladega. But just, yeah, just wild. I mean, the great part, though, is the safety equipment. And you really started to see that in the early 2000s um, after Dale Earnhardt uh, mm-hmm. passed away during that, that wreck. You see the safer barriers. Uh, Hans device, which we, you know, head and neck restraint that we all wear now. Mm. Uh, it's required. Better helmets. Like, you know, we, we run what's called an FIA 8860 helmet now. And these are, I mean, they're expensive, but they are really well engineered to the point where you could be outside the car and take a serious hit and still be okay. So, wow. Um, yeah, at least it's it's good that we're we're headed down the right path, and you see that with IndyCar too and Formula One. They've got you know more of a a driver cocoon, if you will, around the head to kind of protect everybody. So at least it's headed down the right direction. Gotcha. Well, what's the fastest speed that you've taken a car to? Do you know? Um, yeah, about yeah, about over 185. I know uh, for sure, and that's going into a corner. 
So that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, I think in a straight line, maybe I've gone around that same speed or faster, yeah. but the, it, it matters more when you're going into a corner at, at high yeah. speed. You yeah. took a, a corner at 185. Yeah. I went into a banked corner, turn one at auto club speedway at 185 and a highly modified uh, Nissan GTR actually. So, wow. Uh, is that yeah. a, a track here in Southern California? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Where's it located? In in Fontana. Okay. And there's, there's a there's a road course version. You can really get up to some crazy speeds. That track they're talking about tearing down and kind of rebuilding, but I hope they keep it. It's a it's a fun one. It's unique, and uh, yeah. certainly a part of you know SoCal right. lifestyle. Right, and and racing lore. Do you have a favorite car that you have raced with or driven? I can't point at one single one i've got i'm I'm in very fortunate that i'm in some really cool cars these days like mclaren's like i was just driving a senna the other day mclaren senna it's just like a like a one and a half million dollar car crazy crazy fast um you know just looks insane i don't you know it's kind of polarizing some people think it looks great some people don't it's it's definitely built just to go fast it's not built to look that great necessarily Mm -hmm. i think it still is fantastic especially from the driver's seat so that there's cars like that but honestly i even like some of the more analog old school cars. So I, I've got a couple of first gen RX-7s. I got one that's, you know, pretty much all original, which is really neat. Like these are like the late seventies, early eighties versions. And they're not fast. In fact, they're quite slow, but it, they're, there's just something kind of cool about them. Maybe it's because that's what I drove when I was, when I was younger. So there's nostalgia there. But I, I really love adapt. I just drove an M3 from what they call an E36 M3. It's like a late nineties, like 1995 M3 up at Laguna Seca. Great track up in Monterey. And that thing was just so fun. I mean, again, not much power, but just able to really carve through the corners and it, uh-huh. everything makes sense inside. Super lightweight. Is that a BMW? Yeah. Okay. And again, I'm talking about like late 90s car, early 80s cars. So there's with the modern cars right now, you can get in these like 700 horsepower cars. So you just go down to the factory and buy and or you go down to the dealer and buy and straight from the factory, they are reliable, which is crazy. Like you think back to, 80s and 90s like to get that sort of horsepower seemed insane or you'd be spending tens of thousands of dollars so we're really living in like a golden age of horsepower where you get like a camaro zl1 or you know any of these cars that just right out of the factory is just insanely fast and they're reliable and they come with a full warranty even if you go on track i mean it's it's crazy so yeah for me it's really hard to uh to point to one specific car but yeah the oldies and the new new ones are both good gotcha now, what about stunt driving? Can you tell us about some stunts that you've had to do? Sure. Well, recently I just did a shoot for Polestar, which is a like the electric division of, of Volvo. And there were some cool cool parts to that. We did some filming at, at uh, Willow Springs, which is a track up in, just north of LA. And we did it on Horse Thief Mile, which is up there, kind of a aggressive elevation change sort of track. And these were all part of like a series they put together, like a web series. And then did some of those, the driving on the roads in Malibu and then in downtown LA. And those are always cool when they, because the, the cops are, are closing off the road for you, right? <laughs> so you now have public roads that you never thought, you know, right. closed off just for you. And so there's a kind of a cool degree of, yeah. uh, of that, you know, you'd be in the one guy doing that sort of stuff and, and hit your marks for a drone or a camera car ahead of you. So yeah, it could, it could be a lot of fun. We did a while back a, a couple commercials that aired in the Super Bowl for Toyota, which were I was in like the Corolla hatchback. So it doesn't seem like a crazy fast car, but we did some really cool maneuvers like the J turn or kind of like a reverse 180 and sliding around. And the neat part about that commercial was we were putting in the general public. And so they would sign a release and then some of the best reactions is what they used in that commercial. So it was just me driving and then 
kind of, you know, sliding around people on, in the downtown streets of LA, like and surprising them. Yeah. And so that was kind of a fun one to do as well. And I understand that, you know, there's things that you have to practice and, you know, kind of always be ready if needed be uh, is putting a car on two wheels, like on the side. Can you describe that? Yeah. So we call it high skiing. Uh, and I like that you said, always be ready. That's actually something I have on my whiteboard in my, in my room at home, like uh, right before I go, you know, to the, to the bathroom in the mornings. That's the, one of the, one of the quotes I look at, but always be ready is the key in my sport at least. Right. So always thinking about the next day, cause it could be stunt driving. It could be coaching, could be driving. It was cool to hear you say those, those, uh, cool. those couple of words. Cause it's uh, it's just something that I, I think about every day, but um, yeah. So uh, the two wheeling is kind of a unique skill set. That's not something that everybody in the stunt world can do, but I have a car that we built specifically for it. And even actually so that I can train other people on how to do it. And I don't train everybody. It's not like your average person off the street um, can pick this up, Yeah. but it's, it's got what we call a training wheel that we put on it so that you can actually, mm. and a special ramp that we built that we can drive up onto your wheels mm. and then use it to, you know, in case you go too far to kind of catch the car. So kind mm. of a, a unique thing. You probably have seen that in some movies, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a, not the most popular uh, stunt for everyone for obvious reasons. <laughs> You're listening to UCI Conversations on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bostenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI 2005 alumni, race car driver, stunt driver, and racing coach Kevin Matson. We're talking all about his life on and around the racetrack. Now back to the interview where Kevin talks about his professional driving schedule. Speaking of always being ready, do you have, as we've been talking, I get the impression of so many things, do you have a somewhat typical week or now there's never any typical week? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question, Kevin. The cool part about, I think this is, I, I wouldn't do well in an office, like I, I, <laughs> in a normal office environment, I'm kind of like, I kind of hop around a lot yeah. and I love talking to people, you know, yeah. and I love listening probably more about different people's stories and things. So I, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't be the most productive in that environment. And so I think that the fact that my weeks are a little bit, you know, mixed, yeah. don't get me wrong. I like to plan. Like I, I, you know, I've got my, my calendars, you know, a couple months out planned as far, especially on the racing side for folks I'm coaching in, in various racing series. Yeah. Like this past week was a little bit more focused and even this week is more focused on simulator training. So working with people on the simulator to get them ready for the seasons, since we're getting really close to, to some new seasons, uh, racing seasons. But there's others like before that, the last two weeks, then it was big into my own racing and uh, a lot of track days. Like, so coaching folks in their own cars at track days around Southern California, Northern California, and some other tracks, uh, even in Texas. Yeah. Every week's a little different. And then, yeah, when the stunt driving comes up, you could be booked for a shoot for, for weeks, you know, if it's a film. So yeah, I think it is kind of cool sometimes when it, when it, the fact that it is a little bit more random, mm-hmm. but it doesn't help for stuff like, uh, like this and, and planning, you know, to have meetings or like I, I've got a friend with a birthday this this weekend and I, I'm waiting to hear back from my client like if we're going to be working together or not. So you, it's really tough to kind of sometimes uh, lock stuff in because some of this stuff can be very last second. Right, right. Probably a lot of weekends. Are you looking forward to any particular events coming up in the next several months? Any, any Anything big on your calendar that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this one locked in. Yeah. Yeah. I think any of the racing seasons, I'm, I'm very competitive. And so for the, the drivers that I'm coaching, I, I, you know, I'm not the one behind the wheel, but I'm the one who's in charge of getting them prepared. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's really where, you know, going back to the always be ready or the seven P's, you know, the prior proper preparedness, those things are really important. So thinking about what can help this driver, what can get them ready. And so particularly for the drivers in, in IMSA or like uh, uh, one of them, the youngster, Steven Agakani, who was the youngest world champion in, in Lamborghini history. So I've, my third year working with him, really excited for this year, uh, what he's going to do. And a couple other drivers, there's another driver today I was working with, Kat, who's I think going to do some big things in her various racing series this year. And so, um, yeah, just just really excited, especially for those drivers who are about to go into their, their big seasons coming up. What is, uh, you know, when, when somebody has a talent for driving, is it, you know, can you put your finger on it? Is it, is it just intuitive for them or is there, is there something, what does it take to be a, a good driver? That's a good question. And Kevin, I, I think that there's a, there definitely is a part of it where you've, you've got to have the physicality. So like for me, maybe I could be a good rower uh, or a good volleyball player, maybe because I'm tall and I, I, maybe I'm built in that regard to be strong, but I probably wouldn't be a good gymnast, you know? So there's probably certain things that you could be better at even mentally. Like, you know, there's a lot going on in a race car. You have to be really tuned in to your vision uh, your kinesthetics, your touch, your feel, you have to be able to, to decipher what the car is trying to tell you and when it's a bad scenario, when it's a good scenario. There's a lot you can coach. So in fact, a lot of the, there's one driver, Chris, I'm working with, who's who's doing really good. I'm really excited about his progression. And he's in his thirties, just getting started now into racing. But he was a football player in the past. And you can tell like he's used to being coached and he's he's used to the rigors that, being involved with the sport on a regular basis helps you with and helps you to understand and, and, and benefit from mm-hmm. there are some others maybe. And sometimes it can be like business owners, CEOs where they're not used to many people telling them some of the great, great CEOs are used to being coached, right? Cause they, they got to that level by, by working with some great mentors, mm-hmm. but there's others that, that maybe for whatever reason, aren't as good of listeners. And so it really just depends. I, I think most people can do really really well behind the wheel, but they've got to break through some of those barriers. And, and as a coach, that's the most important part. And so, you know, f- the first thing on my list is to connect with that person and really understand what drives them and what their goals are, you know, because mm-hmm. maybe someone wants them to go racing, but maybe it's not them. Maybe they just want to go have some fun on the track or get away from the house or, or get away f- from some of those thoughts like at work. Mm-hmm. And that's how the track is for them. So it's, it's really connecting with them, determining what the goals are. Mm-hmm. And once you know those true goals, you can usually uh, push that person in, in the right direction and, and get them to enjoy that experience, drive safer and, and hopefully drive better. You mentioned simulator training. Is that just simulator training for the, the real track or are people doing simulator trainings to actually race like with an e-sport, like it's, you know, online racing. Can you give us any insights into that area? Yeah, that's it's a great point that you bring up, and especially with UC Irvine being so focused on the esports arena, it's really cool. And and you hear a lot about the games that are played there, and you don't hear as much about sim racing, but I think you will more so. And and really for us, when COVID uh, began this the situation, I made a I was already involved. I, I I think I was an early adapter to using simulators to train people for the track and to much like the military and in other sports, how they train in certain ways and drill, you know, mm-hmm. you, when you show up to a practice for football, you're not going to scrimmage each time. You're, you're going to do specific drills that cater towards the sport and, and the specific role you have within that sport. 
And that's what I've done for a long period of time. I'm talking well over a decade in, in simulator, simulator training. But the, I think last year we really got to see like with, with a lot of racing seasons changing and a lot of people not traveling mm-hmm. that esports and, and uh, I, I racing and a lot of these online racing uh, scenarios pop up and people take it serious. And so I had uh, already at that time, a couple uh, portable sort of take home simulators that kind of fold up and those were booked solid. And then we really invested a, a lot more money in, in the simulator, which you saw at my shop. And we have now another two simulators being built, which will be uh, at a new location I have up in uh, Los Angeles. And then I've been you know, helping others as far as build their own simulators and simulator equipment has been sold out for a while. So I, I mean, we sold a lot of our equipment during that time period early on. But a lot of it had to do with the remote coaching that's available via simulators, like in spotting. I was able to spot people that were halfway across the country and help them in their races because it was just online. So it's a unique arena for sure, because you, like you said, there's some folks that I'm training for the real world and, and to take what they learn on the sim. Of course, it's a lot lower cost, but then bring it to the real racing. And then, of course, there's the folks who, hey, I'm not doing the real racing. I'm now I'm just doing the online racing, which I think is pretty neat too. And it keeps costs in line and, and it's still a good way to get your fix. Now, how about as a driving coach, you coach some name people for one Jay Leno. Can you tell us about that experience? That was fun. His shop manager, Bernard is a friend. And, and I've been out there a couple of times to the garages he has in Burbank. And every time you go, there's just a different collection that's pulled out, you know, or different cars getting worked on. It's just so cool. It seems like it's a legendary collection. Do, do you agree? It is. I mean, it's probably one of the most eclectic. I mean, he has his own focus in, in certain cars, like the Steam Collection, which is unique. But he's got like Rotary Cosmos, like Ma- these old school Mazdas, and he's got Bugatti, and he's just I mean, all sorts of different types of cars and price levels, and and uh, it's just neat. It really yeah. is. He's so passionate about it, and that's what's cool. And 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 he's he's humble, a very humble guy. The specific filming that we did. And I see him when I'm up there. Usually he's usually it's on a weekend. He's taking a different car out to just go drive around for fun. But we did some filming with him and me and Gilbert Gottfried and, and some others. And that was a blast. That was for his show, uh, Jay Leno's Garage. And we were in a Ferrari together. And again, just a, just a great, humble guy who really, again, takes coaching well, took some feedback. And then when you see the final episode, it's really, really really smooth and hilarious. I was laughing out loud during the filming. I'm driving one of the camera cars and then he's in the car with Gilbert Godfrey kind of teaching him how to drive based on like how I kind of told him how to do some coaching. Uh And it's just, you know, just pure comedic gold. The guy's just so funny. When you were a kid, who was your favorite driver? Did you have one? That's a great question. I try to think back to that. One of them for sure still is, is Danny Sullivan, who was an IndyCar driver. And I used to love watching and he had the infamous spin and win at uh, Indy where he actually spun and then come back to win that race. And the cool part is Danny's been a mentor to me and a great guy. We worked together when I was the chief instructor for the Lexus performance driving school. And uh, we got to present together, you know, like, and and so he got to kind of show his of course, talk about his experience in the car. And then I was able to talk about a lot of the specifics um, that I learned over the years working with people in, in these production cars. So he took kind of the race car aspects and I took the, the production car aspects. And it was really cool to be able to work with someone like that. And we still stay in touch. And uh, he helps out with some of the other clients I work with and, and kind of some motivating comments to them to kind of keep them pumped. He's, he's great. And, and through GT Academy, which was this program we did with Sony a while back and uh, he was involved in that and really helped out some of the drivers I was working with. So just a great guy. Yeah. 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 How about favorite racing movie? 
I'll say Ford versus Ferrari, just because I think everyone knows that one oh. now. And I, I did have some involvement with it. So I helped with casting, oh, which weird. is neat. Oh, you yeah, helped you, with casting? Yeah. Yeah. You can see I'm, there's a couple of scenes where you can probably see me in the background. In fact, there's one for sure. You, you can't miss my bald head. But um, what's it? Tell us what scene. So we'll watch for it. <laughs> yeah, don't blink. But it's uh, it's the scene if you remember. So was, we filmed it at Willow Springs, but uh, it's the scene where Ken Miles or the actor um, uh, portraying Ken Miles, uh, you know, throws the wrench and they're they're kind of screwing around in the pits, and uh, uh, Carol Shelby is is trying to calm them down, and there's an SCCA official that's that's involved and stuff like that. So. Uh, we, we were, you know, little things we did, like helping with props. Like, so we'd go through the set and like pick out things that didn't fit. Like, you know, there's like a 1980s distributor for a Honda sitting on, 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 uh, Ken's, uh, table. Like that uh-huh. doesn't make sense. Right. So we uh-huh. go through it, like, make sure it's the right product. And then, like I said, I helped cast a lot of the folks that were, were in there and uh, some of the extras and had a lot of buddies who were in the uh, stunt driving. Um, and I was really fortunate to be in those, some of those scenes because it was, I had like a one day window that I was available and, and they were nice enough to, uh, to put me in. And so that was, that was a cool one. And I really, honestly, I, I like that movie because I think it ties in enough of the storyline and then mixes in the appropriate amount of racing. So even if you don't like racing or cars that much, you could watch that. And there's enough of a good story there. That's mostly real uh, that, uh, that I think anybody want, like enjoys watching it. Yeah. Right. It was, I went with my son when it first came out. I'm like, it's just a great movie period. Even if you're not into racing it, it's uh, Mm -hmm. even better if you're into it. Definitely. If you joined us late, you're listening to UCI conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bostenmeyer. And my guest today is race car driver, stunt driver, racing coach, Kevin Madsen, who graduated with a degree in social science from UCI in 2005 and has been racing ever since. Here he talks about his recent favorite races. Do you have a favorite car race that you watch every year? Yeah, it's sometimes more track related. We had a big race down at uh, Coda or Circuit of the Americas in December, uh, which went well. We got seventh out of 96 cars. The cool part about that was I was co-driving with Phil, uh, one of my teammates and, and coaching clients. And he's just really getting started his last couple of years in racing. And so he drove most of that eight hour race. And so really cool to see him perform at that level to do so well in such a short period of time. There's a number of longer races coming up, like in IMSA that we have, like Daytona was from earlier this year. I was working with an LMP2 team, which is a prototype team. Unfortunately, we had some mechanical difficulties, so we were unable to, to finish that race, but it's a 24-hour race. You know, that's always a highlight each year. Uh, Le Mans coming up this year in, in August, so they changed the dates, but that's going to be kind of uh, kind of a cool deal for one of my clients, Brendan. It'll be his first time racing certainly at that level in, in GTE uh, in a Ferrari out there. So yeah, there's, wow. I mean, one of your clients is going to be in the Le Mans race. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. This, the 24 hour Le Mans race that's in France, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's big time. Don't you, don't you think it's huge? Yeah. And this, he's a great story of, of how he's gone from being, you know, full-time into business. And then now is, is obviously racing at that level and like immense dedication and practice and, and really putting his mind to it and physical training and, and everything that it takes to race at that level. So it's really been neat to see him transform and, and attack this, uh, this full on this last couple of years. Now for a 24 hour race, does it take two drivers or, or is it one driver for that whole time? Great question. Yeah. Uh, four drivers. So they'll have a four driver lineup on that. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So it splits it up. Makes it, if you're talking six hours, then ideally uh, per driver. 
sometimes they'll put a little bit more for some of the more experienced drivers. So it's a little shorter for, for some of the newer guys, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's, that's about as much in those cars, as fast as you're going and the level of concentration it takes, like that's probably the most you'd want in that, uh, that sort of time period. It's like seven, eight hours at the most. Gotcha. You know, kind of back to that Ford versus Ferrari movie. That's the 24 hour Le Mans race, the central part of that movie, right? Yep. I think in the U S the biggest race you have, like when you think of endurance racing is Daytona because you know, the, the world center of racing and that's where it's kind of started here in the U S and NASCAR and all that racing on the beach back in the day. But over in Europe, I think Le Mans is, is most certainly, you know, the oh. highlight, the, the biggest, that 24 hour race. So you've, you've got those, which I think, and they, I think they talked a little bit in Ford versus Ferrari of, of Daytona and Sebring and some of the endurance races we have here in the U S but Le Mans for sure is the one that uh, I think is when you think of endurance racing, you know, the pretty much the pinnacle. Gotcha. And in that movie, Carol Shelby is the, this American automotive designer. that's just like revered as this great icon of racing and designing. Do, is there anybody like him now today or, was that just the golden age of, you know, auto design? That's a great question. I mean, I think that you have these, these characters back then, like Carol Shelby, you know, always with the cowboy hat and, and um, you know, there, there's some of that old school, right. And, and mm-hmm. hot rodding and think about it. He had a good connection with Ford mm-hmm. and took, took this uh, lightweight car that he saw over in Britain and took these Ford engines and, and put them together. Right. And, and just kind of, thought outside the box. I, I think that maybe there's, we're living in a different time as far as the attitudes, right? You got to be a little bit more, uh, you know, especially if you're working with big manufacturers, you've got to be a little bit more PC, but uh. I think that there are some amazing things happening right now. Like I just got off, I do some writing for Haggerty and I got off this uh, shoot that we are not even a shoot, but really a, um, uh, a test and uh-huh. opportunity to drive a new car from Ford. And it was the Mach one. And, and I've, I've been to some of their other events and for other manufacturers, we were driving the newest car they have. And it's pretty crazy when you think about some of the cars they're, they're coming out with, like Dodge has the TRX, the, uh, that big Ram with like 700 horsepower. So they've got this, you know, truck that they're taking and then putting that Hellcat engine in and, and the Mach one is a great handling car that's for this Mustang for the price point. And, you know, you got all this horsepower now, and then you got a car that you can safely drive on track and it's still under warranty and it's not going to overheat and the brakes are going to be safe. So I think that there are some folks behind the scenes in these manufacturers and sort of these guys who are leading this charge to give us these amazing cars. But I don't know if you hear about them as much. Like I certainly know of a couple people, but I don't know if their personalities are as strong as, as like a Carol Shelby, right? Who, who's definitely, you know, made for the movies. Mm, right, right. How about, you know, we talked so, so much about, you know, the automotive aspect of cars and so forth. What about tires? I, I understand that tires are more important than uh, the general public might realize. Yeah, well, they are what's making contact with the asphalt, right? So nothing else on your car, you know, you could do all this work on the engine suspension, but the tire is what's producing that grip. It's the actual contact surface with the road. So really it is the most important part, whether you're on the roads or whether you're on a racetrack, that's the most important part and really where a lot of the attention should be focused. So tire pressures and things are important, both in racing and on the road. So important to be within that, that window and check them regularly we focus on like hot pressures. So after we've warmed up the tire, we find an optimal range where we want it and do a lot of other crazy things like looking at tire temperatures and, and inside middle and outside of each tire and camber and all sorts of crazy things. And we have engineers who are looking at all that data, 
but it's the easiest way to go fast is to put to put some really sticky tires, some more expensive, sticky or wider, wider tires on your car. And that's the easiest way to go fast. So it's a lot of these classes and racing are using certain tire compounds and things to dictate what type of racing that you really you know, end up seeing. Like Formula One has a couple different compounds and uh, that makes the racing exciting. And um, a lot of these guys that are going to track days now are using a sticky compound that's maybe good enough for the street, but ideally best for the track because of how sticky it is, doesn't last too long, but it's really fast for a short period of time. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting part of the sport for sure. In your mind, is there a greatest auto racer of all time? I like Michael Schumacher for a number of reasons. I think you, you can look at the record of a lot of drivers. You know, his driving record is, is amazing, but also his attitude. And uh, like, I love the way he drove in the rain. I, I like to think of myself as uh, a really good driver in the rain because I'm used to sliding a car. I'm used to correcting a car. I enjoy that, whereas some people, I think, find it a little bit scary. Some of my best performances have been in wet conditions, like at Mid-Ohio, a great track that's very difficult in the rain out of Mid-Ohio, and a lot of other tracks, West Coast tracks in the rain, and Southeast tracks where you get a lot of rain. Yeah, for him, he was one growing up. He always had that iconic red helmet, so you kind of knew, and that was kind of to intimidate drivers, you know, so if they look back and they saw that red helmet, they're like, oh, God, here's here he is. <laughs> the coming. So I like that because I really like the mental part of the, the game. So there's a lot of techniques I use when I'm on track and a lot of techniques I, I coach now where you can kind of get in the head of other drivers and, and use that to your advantage. I liked a lot of what he brought as far as his dedication, his relentless pursuit for the win, and then, you know, kind of the mental aspect. I, so I, I put him as tops in my list. Yeah, very good. How about in terms of your career, have you had any wow moments when you look back? It's like, you know, I still can't believe I met this person or worked with this person or is there anything like that for you? It's a great question. I think that the, the moments now as I get old, I think it's all of us as you get older, like I can think back to like some of the wins I had myself and, and they're very special and especially the ones that were like hard fought where it takes like years or a year or you know, there was a guy, I remember I was finishing for the longest time, like second place to a certain driver. And I finally was able to start beating him. And, and it wasn't because of money it was because of car. It was just because of like the time I put into, to trying to improve my craft. Yeah. And so like that feeling, you know, when you improve is so cool. So I don't know if it's like one instance, but it's, it's probably multiple, but now as I get older, it, it's, it's really cool to see some of these youngsters and, and, and other folks like, you know, even guys who are older than myself, who are coming from different professions. And then in a short period of time, they're able to adapt and improve and get on top of the podium. And I don't know, it's, you know, it's like that, I don't know, sort of proud older brother, or I guess proud father sort of feeling that you get when you see these folks who are like, man, I didn't think I could do that. And by you giving them the knowledge and, the, and believing in them and pushing them to the limit at times and really drilling them that they're able to, to achieve it. And so I've definitely had those moments where I see other people that I've worked with standing on top of the podium. And that at this point is, is perhaps the, uh, you know, the best feeling. Very cool. You just describe, you know, winning moments that you had where you had to work for a year to improve. Is it just basically training yourself for muscle memory of how to, you know, handle a corner or accelerating or decelerating? I mean, can you share like what it, you know, or is it just becoming intuitively connected to the car? So you know what to do in this such and such a situation. Well, a couple different ways to look at it. And it depends on which driver and, and what stage of their driving game they're at. But in any sport, you're going to kind of reach these plateaus. You're going to keep 
getting better and then you're going to get to a point where maybe something's holding you back. And so sometimes that can be technique. It could be, you know, at these certain tracks or it could be in this certain type of car, I have this issue or like you were mentioning, you know, some of the more of the mechanics of it, like, you know, I'm tending to turn in early and that's killing some of my exit speed on some of these corners. There, there's some of these more basic things that you can work through, but with a lot of the drivers, as they progress past that, it starts to head down where, yes, it could be physical, right? Maybe they could be healthier, their endurance, their brain endurance. We get an even into brain endurance training now where they start getting tired over the course of a longer stint or a lot of time behind the wheel and then the mental side, right? So uh, like as I was mentioning with, with another driver I was battling with, it maybe wasn't even technique at times. It was more of like getting in your head. Like maybe when they're behind you, for some drivers, you're looking in the mirror so much that that's affecting how you're driving. And it's a mm-hmm. concept of like, this mm-hmm. guy's going to get me, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's trying to get in the other person's head. This is like any sport. And I'm sure even in like running uh, across country, you know, you might think that the guy behind you is like ready to pass you, but he might actually behind you be tired and not, and like, man, how's this guy running away from me? So our perception of others and the mind game is really a big part of this sport. And so a lot of that is, is training these folks to be strong warriors in their, in their minds as well. So yeah, it's not just some of the basics that you think of, but it's others. And then there's also like that whole sort of next level where we can kind of change the tides of things on track by thinking outside the box and, and working with some different strategies, really connecting better with our engineer to make sure we get a better car, come up with some things that make the car maybe better later in the race or earlier in the race, whatever we need. So there's just so much more there um, that when you finally get to one of these plateaus, there's always something else that we can focus on to improve. How about dream car to drive? Is there still something that you're like, yeah, I, I haven't driven this yet that I really want to anything like that? I love driving any of these cars. I, I'm so fortunate. Like I, I can't ask for much, right? Because I just mentioned that I was in the Senna, which is like a car. It's like a spaceship. You know, you don't don't expect to drive one of those. Really? Yeah, I drive some, yeah, some really expensive cars, the Carrera GT, and all of them are, are super cool. So like on the racing side, I'd love to drive a lot more varied. Like when I was younger, I got a test in a Formula Atlantic, which is um, what they call Indy Lights now. And I was too tall to to continue with that test. So, I, you know, nowadays, some of these open wheel cars are a little bit more accommodating to taller drivers, which, which I am. Open wheel has never been a focus of mine, but it's, you know, any sort of car like that, I think would be fun. Like some of these classic cars, like a classic Formula car, or even the classic Trans Am cars with these big V8s and things. So I think some of the old school, you know, big muscle sort of cars that take a lot of skill to drive and maybe need to slide a little bit around a track would, would be fun to, to give a go. What about you? What do you want to drive? That's, that's, uh, that's always cool to hear. It's usually, because no, that's usually the sort of the question that I get. But I, again, I, I think I'm a little spoiled. I'm very fortunate. And so it's, I'm always interested to, to for folks, particularly yeah. in this world, yeah. what, they, what they think is a cool car. Man, that's a great question. I guess I'd have to say Formula One just because, you know, I, I have no idea what that would be like. That would be incredible. Yeah. Do, do you agree? Is, is it incredible? Yeah, the, I mean, the, I, it's not a car I've, I've driven, um, particularly even the recent ones, right? I've been inside of them, put it around one, but the cars are just the, the amount of force that they can put on the human body is insane. Like laterally, longitudinally, even it's, it's, um, it's crazy, right? So you got to be yeah. in a different seating position than you're used to. So yeah, it's, it's an immersive experience, no doubt. Well, thanks for asking. And, and, and Kevin, thank you for the hour. It's gone by really fast. 
for just sharing all your experiences. They're certainly different and out of the ordinary. Really appreciate the time. Hey, Kev, thanks so much for chatting with me. It's been good to meet you. And thanks so much for everything you're doing to kind of spread the word on different folks at UCI and kind of the the unique things that they're involved in. Thank you again to 2005 UCI alumni Kevin Matson for taking the time to share all his great knowledge about the world of auto racing. Mm, mm, mm. Who knew how big it really is? From Formula One to IndyCar, stock car and go-karts. It was a treat to hear all about the need for speed, and it sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. If you'd like more information about Kevin's coaching and other services and activities, go to www.matsonmotorsports.com. Matsonmotorsports.com. It was a pleasure. Now turning the page, coming up next is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra, the show that looks at how to get more out of your business by reducing problems through topical Q&A with experts in their fields. Stay tuned. You've been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. This interview and past interviews are available 24-7 on my podcast website at www.bostonmeyer.com and comments and suggestions are always welcome at kboss at KUCI.org. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, keep up the great work against COVID. Keep wearing those masks, physically distancing, and get that vaccine. We are on the road to recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bostonmeyer, encouraging you to keep working hard. Have a pleasant good evening, and we will see you next week on UCI Conversations. So long, everybody. Hit it, Piano Man Fred Kaplan.